And um, I was in, <laughs> I was in uh, New Begin on Loon recently. I don't know whether you, you know it. Oh, right, okay. Well, it's right in the very northern dales. And um, I was doing a church anniversary there. 40 houses, that's all. But uh, interestingly, we've got 120 along to the... Uh, so either the big households, or I think people came from other <laughs> villages round about. But I heard some gorgeous stories there. Herbert Silverwood. Do you know that name? Anybody know Herbert Silverwood? No. He was an evangelist, with the Methodists particularly. He was born in, in Barnsley, but he worked up in the Northern Dales. And he died round about 1975. But he was very effective. He was a very witty man and a blunt Yorkshireman. But I heard a lovely story there. And I must just tell you this before we, we come to the word. He was leading an evangelistic mission in Hawes at Methodist Church, which of course has just recently closed um, in Hawes. And the pianist wasn't doing very well, really. And uh, they were trying to sing this hymn just before he preached. And eventually he stopped it. And he just turned to the pianist and said... Look, this really isn't going very well. Could we have a more modern tune, please? To which the pianist said, Nay, lad, you can't get more modern than this. I'm making it up as I go along. <laughs> it's really tickled me as that story. I could just, just imagine it. And I've just, just read the biography, an old biography, of a man called Richard Birdsall, B-U-R-D-S-A-L-L, who was a Methodist lay preacher, um, he used to sell buckles in, uh, in York, but he was a Methodist lay preacher at the time of Wesley. And do you know, over and over and over again, he says, I went to Otley and I preached the gospel. So there's a good heritage, as you know, in, in Otley for the gospel being preached. But anyway, let's come to this, this theme of fatherhood. And I, I have to say, um, it, it is with a little bit of fear um, that I want to tackle this because I'm going to share with you what I believe is a terrible truth. Now, I, I, I've always noted that, you know, Mother's Day, the preacher stands up and they praise the mothers, don't they? What wonderful people you are, what amazing work you're doing, and how much we appreciate you. And then Father's Day, the preacher stands up and lambasts the fathers and says, what useless men you are, <laughs> etc. But actually, the, 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 the reality of it is, there is some truth in that from the scripture. Now, the background to it is that um, the Bible refers to fatherhood at least 100 times in the, Bible, in, in the scriptures, in the pages of the Bible. So clearly, it's an important theme. And, and yet, you can go from beginning to end, and we do not really find any good father. Now, there are some fathers, in fact, quite a number, we don't know very much about them at all, and so who knows... But the ones that we do know about, well, it's very difficult to think of a human father that functioned well in his lifetime. The Bible never gives us a sort of memorable gallery of godly or good fathers. And as a father, speaking, I'm sure, to a number of others who are fathers, that is very perturbing. But think of some of the great characters. Adam. Oh, okay, so you've got Cain and Abel. And anyway, what did Adam and Eve do at the very beginning? Noah, you know, this wonderful achievement, building the ark, and he and his family were rescued. And then what happens? He goes and gets drunk, and it sounds like there's immorality after it as well. Abraham, well, Abraham's attitude to Ishmael is not good at all. And yet, you know, he, he, he was the father of Ishmael. What about Lot? And again, gross immorality with his daughters. And Jacob, 
favouring Joseph above the others? Or what about Eli, who said to his, again, immoral and outrageously abusive, as far as religion is concerned, sons, he says to them, why are you doing this? Now the trouble is, when you say why, you appeal to their reason, don't you? And they'll give an answer. We're not to say why you're doing something. We're, we're really to appeal to their conscience and say, what are you doing? But he never did that. David, well, we'll come on to David in a few moments. This, this mighty man, this man after God's own heart. But how he messed up with regard to his family. And yet we have to say, fathers are incredibly important. Alec Guinness, the, the, the actor, let me quote him. I have to admit that my search for a father has been my constant speculation for the last 50 years. Wow. He was the, the son of a prostitute. And just on that theme, I don't know whether you know in the Bible the story of Jephthah. Uh, I mustn't be distracted. I love Jephthah, and I, I think he's such an interesting character. But you read most Bible commentaries. They're really harsh on Jephthah. But there's one Bible commentary that isn't. And it's written by a man called Alexander White, a Scottish preacher of a hundred years ago. He is extremely sympathetic to Jephthah. And I wonder whether it's because both of them were sons of prostitutes. And Alexander White understood Jephthah in a way that most Bible commentators never do. But anyway, it's just, just a little aside. Charles Dickens was once walking with his father and they saw a beautiful, beautiful house. And the father said to his son, if you work hard, one day you could buy a house like that. And do you know that sort of stayed with Charles Dickens throughout his life for the next 36 years. He was a total workaholic, almost trying to justify his existence because of what his father had said. Or more modern days, Nicky Campbell on Radio 5 every morning, a man who's become increasingly anti-Christian, which is tragic. I read his autobiography and um, it, it's not one I recommend. He spoils it with, I don't know, virtually every page putting on it swear words. Um, at the age of 13, he went to a scripture union camp in Scotland. And there he said, I asked Jesus into my heart. And they gave me a good news Bible and some daily Bible reading notes. And he said, for three weeks, I kept those up, but nobody ever got in touch with me. And he just drifted away. And now, quite cynically anti-Christian. But... His story, it's, it's, it, his biography is called uh, An Adopted Son. And sure enough, he was adopted. His mother put him up for adoption and said, he must be adopted by Protestant parents, which is interesting. So sure enough, two Protestant parents, mother and father, in Edinburgh, adopted him. I have to say, these were atheistic but nevertheless, they were, quote-unquote, Protestant atheists. Okay, so they adopted him, but nevertheless, he went, um, uh, he went on this camp, etc. So there was a bit of a con Christian connection. But um, he wanted to know who his mother was. And the book, really, is him trying to trace, first of all, his mother. And sure enough, eventually he finds her. She was a midwife working in Dublin. And she'd had a very short relationship with a man, became pregnant, and then he left her. But he wanted to know who his father was. And probably the chunk of the book is him trying to find his father. Eventually he does find him. Serving time for murder in the Mays prison. He was an IRA terrorist. That was his father. And he said, I spent hours with my father. 
and it affected his attitude towards the Northern Irish uh, situation. But the, the importance of a father. Now, a good father will always take responsibility for his children. Do you remember the book of Job? Job sacrifices for his children. Uh, Joshua, and those famous words, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, of course, we, we look after physical needs. We go to work to earn money so that we can provide food and clothing, shelter, etc. for our children. But nevertheless, there's more than that. As fathers, we wouldn't want to give stones or snakes when our children ask for something, bread, if I can use Jesus' illustration. But nevertheless, from Adam onwards, the father of the human race onwards, there is a legacy left of original sin to each child, and of course that means each father. So we're going to find that fathers fail. Well, how do they fail? Well, some neglect their children. I find this very challenging, you know, for, as my children were growing up. Um, every year I was away for 30 weeks of the year. And then when I was home, I was often out and about. And, and I find this very challenging. But David, King David, really inattentive. He didn't protect Tamar. Do you remember the story? When Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar, there was no protection for Tamar. And then he didn't discipline Amnon for doing what he did. And then he failed to get reconciled to Absalom, who to begin with really tried to be reconciled to his father. But wow, nothing was done for that. Some neglect, on the other hand, some coddle or spoil their children. Abraham favouring Isaac over Ishmael. Now his love and his commitment to Isaac is admirable, but why did he do what he did to Ishmael? You know, and okay... Uh, aware of what Sarah said, but nevertheless he should have taken a firm stand and said, no, 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 this is my son, I have a responsibility for him. Or Isaac, do you remember him doting over Esau rather than Jacob? But, but are there to be favourites in a household? I remember Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, being interviewed once about bringing up her children, and she was asked, do you have favourites? And she gave an interesting answer. She said, yes, my favourite, and they had five, my favourite child is the one who's in particular trouble at that time. <laughs> and, and that's it. When, when somebody's really going through it, your heart, your attention, your emotion is focused on them, but it can soon go to the next one, or all of them at times. Tell me about it. Or Jacob, as I said earlier, spoiling uh, Joseph. Do you know, if, if David had disciplined his family as he ought to have done, Maybe he wouldn't have grieved over them. I think the saddest words in the Old Testament are the words of, of David when Absalom has been killed. And he says, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, oh, Absalom, my son, would to God that I had died in place of you. And I think it's because he knew deep down I should have given time and discipline and attention to my children. Some fail, and, and those of you who are fathers with children at the moment, I beg you to listen to this because I think it's the big issue at the moment. Some fail to protect their children from secular influences. There's, there's a book that you can get and it sends a shiver spine, down your spine. It's, um, it's entitled something like, um, What Are They Teaching Our Children? And it's really a book, a, a, a real study 
about what is being taught in schools today. It's done by the Wilberforce group. And, um, oh, wow, when you realise what they are teaching them. I have a Christian friend not very far away from here, and I mustn't say too much, but he's a very able man, and he's very good job. Uh, lovely, lovely family, three children, brought up where they have family prayers, family devotion, going to church, etc. Real commitment to the things of God. The 10-year-old came home recently and said to his mum, I'm an atheist. 10 years of age. Now, where is he getting that? Well, school. What are they teaching our children? Lot failed to protect his daughters and... Well, it led to sexual perversion. Achan, do you remember he was the one who, who after the, um, the walls of Jericho had crumbled, he stayed and he lingered and he took the gold and the silver and the Babylonianish garment and he took them and hid them. Now, the significant thing here was they were living in a tent. There's no way you could sort of put all that under your robe and, and keep it hidden. The family must have been aware. And, and there would have been, as it were, a bump in the tent where all those things were hidden. All the family knew there was a bump in the tent. And they all kept quiet. Nobody said, Dad, you shouldn't have done this. We are commanded not to. So they all participated in the love of money, the, the greed of the father. And of course, the sins then of the father were visited on the children. Some fail, and don't misunderstand, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I really am saying this to myself, and I beat myself up at times um, over, the, you know, my lack of being a good father. Some fail by their own bad example. King Saul, who had that volatile temper that should have been controlled. But he allowed himself to have this temper. And, 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 and I imagine at times he said, oh, it's just the way I am. But that's not acceptable because the grace of God can refine and change a person. And that temper frightened his children and others. Abraham, he, he was just weak. When, when Sarah's wife was putting pressure on him about Ishmael, he should have stood up and said, no, 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 I have a responsibility. I'm not just sending Hagar and Ishmael out to go and die in the wilderness, which, you know, humanly would have happened. Jacob just merely disapproving of the rape, uh, not Jacob, um, yes, Jacob, of the rape of Dinah. His daughter is raped, and, and he sort of just lets it go. Uh, now, the overreaction of two of the brothers was dreadful, but nevertheless, he was wrong in not doing anything. Or Samson. Samson's father allowed Samson to order him around. And yet the father is to be the, the, the leader of the house. I don't know if you've ever seen, they used to have it around in homes quite some years ago. It sort of faded out a little bit, but which says Christ is the head of this home, the unseen guest in every you know, meal or whatever it is. That isn't true. Jesus isn't the head of the home. The father is the head of the home. Now, the father may say, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord. Absolutely. But God, as it were, delegates responsibility of the leadership of the home to the father. And again, as I mentioned earlier, Noah getting drunk and then the shameful spectacle of his sins. So, so here we have this, the, the word of God, this wonderful, wonderful book, the Bible. And through it, we find human fathers failing 
But if that's all I had to say, if I sat down now and said, let's have the, the final hymn, you'd have every reason to go to Chris and say, let's, let's not have him again. And why did we have him anyway? <laughs> it doesn't just stop there, because all the way through Scripture, human fathers may be failing, but there is another father, a heavenly father, and um, he makes himself known. Of course, we're talking about God and that uh, super prayer we had earlier, talking about some of the, the attributes of God. He is a father. He's our creator. And he can become, in a very intimate way, our heavenly father. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke explicitly about this. And that's why I wanted that passage in John 14 to be read. And, and, and Jesus is revealing God to the people and revealing God as a father. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for my work's sake. So he came to reveal God as the Father. So what does the Bible teach us about this, this Father? Well, that there is just one God, one heavenly Father. There was one of those stories that went round, you don't know whether it's true or not, but it was a couple of years ago when it was a new term in a junior school and the new teacher was, um, was getting information about each of the 11-year-old pupils who were in the class and, um, and one of the boys said, oh, Miss... I've got a different father this year. And so she said, all right, what's, what's the name, etc. And he gave the name of his new father. And another boy shouted out, oh, we had him last year, he's useless. And we sort of want to laugh at it, but it's tragic, isn't it? What is going on as far as families and father, fathers especially, so often irresponsible. Well, there is only one heavenly father, and that is God. He is our creator, but he's the one who's come to redeem lost humanity and bring us back into a relationship. He wants to make us his sons and his daughters. He wants to adopt us. We, he wants us to belong to him. Now, he's the one who created his children. Each of us, you know, designed and created by God. It's wonderful, is that? I remember when I was 14, my mother let slip the information that I was an accident. And you sort of think, oh, thanks, Mum. And uh, but, but I may have been an accident as far as my mum and dad were concerned. I was not an accident as far as God was concerned. Before I was born, he, he, he knew all about me. In fact, before the foundation of the world, he, he knew all about me. He knows me through and through. So he created us. But more than that, as a father, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, he carries us. Once we've come to trust God in a personal, real way and trust him to be our saviour, he carries us. It's lovely that he's not just leading, he does lead. But he's carrying us through all that we have to go through. Sometimes we hear things that are dreadful. Um, Somebody who belongs to the same church that Chris grew up in has just recently died. And died in a terrible way, really. Real illness. And in the last, and pain, in the last two or three weeks of his life, just crying out to the Lord, please, please take me. Well, earlier this week, the Lord did take him. 
But you hear these stories, and I don't know about you, but you sort of think, well, I wouldn't want to die like that. But if we belong to God, and he is our father, and we are his sons and daughters, he will carry us. He will carry us. There is no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still, said Corrie ten Boom. And she's right. He, he provides for us. We live in a society where we've got plenty, haven't we? You know, if we want food, we, we go to Otley Market or, or whatever. We, we, we get more than we, we need. Or if you're like me, you, you've got the Waitrose card and you get your free coffee as well. In fact, booths just up the road, they do the same, so you can have two in a day. And, you know, we've got, we've got plenty, haven't we? We've got more than enough. But there are times when we find ourselves, it may be in financial need or need of some sort of physical provision. It might be something else with regard to our family or our work or our health or our, just the pressures or the state we feel we're in spiritually. But he provides. He can restore the soul. He can bring us back into a close relationship with himself. He provides. Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34. He, he there says, doesn't he, that we are not to worry John Wesley said he would no more worry than he would steal or kill because it's forbidden. And yet, we, again, we, we can sort of excuse ourselves, oh, I'm just a natural born worrier. Uh-uh, we're not. Because, well, Jesus said worry is useless. You know, you can't add anything to the, your stature. Mind you, when you're my height, who would want to add anything? But, but uh, we can't add anything to our stature. It, 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 it's useless. It's needless. Because God is in control, and it is godless. Because God is in control. Useless, needless, and godless. And yet we worry, but he provides. He gives good gifts, Matthew 7, 7 to 11. He, he does give good gifts, doesn't he? Sometimes he just blesses us and meets with us. And, and he, I don't know, he gives us an overwhelming sense of his presence. This biography of Richard Birdsell, he found this on one or two occasions where there was real opposition. And boy, did he have opposition when he was preaching. And yet it seems that those times especially, God came very close and met with him and strengthened him and enabled him. When he was totally exhausted and, and soaked because he'd been riding on his horse for 10, 15 miles through the rain after preaching, trying to get home, and couldn't get home. He sleeps in some sort of barn and he's cold. And yet... The Lord draws near to him. John chapter 6, verse 32, he offers true bread to his children. And Proverbs 3, 12, interesting, he disciplines his children. It, it's not particularly acceptable these days to punish children. The, the whole notion is being debated, isn't it? In Wales and Scotland, should you ever be able to smack your children and this sort of thing? But the Lord chastens us. And we are to, as it were, look at the fatherhood of God and replicate that in the way that we are fathers to our children. The Lord never withdraws affection from us, does he? So as fathers, we're never to withdraw affection from our children. But the Lord does put pressure on us and chastens us and makes us sort of feel, I don't know, in our innermost being, difficult and just everything's hard work. And, and yeah, if things are going wrong with the children, there needs to be pressure put on them 
punishment, if need be, to bring them back to walking as they should, just as the Lord does with us. But it's always done with affection. And people laugh at that, that idea, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. But it does for a loving father. It's never pleasant to chasten. And God doesn't want to chasten, but he will because he loves. And we should because we love. Sometimes, I don't know, we get it wrong, don't we? I remember my eldest daughter, Emma, on one occasion, I, um, I, th- I think I'd just, not that hard, but I think I'd smacked her because we were at that stage when we were trying to get her out of nappies. And anyway, her nappy was, was soaked. So I just tapped her on the hand, but then realised later on she'd been seated with her mum holding her on a wet garden gate. And um, so... <sighs> I'd got it all wrong. I'd punished her when it... I do know I beat myself up over that. And all these years later, she's 40 now, I still remember it. And so the next time she deserved a smack, I said, look, no smack this time because you had one when you didn't deserve it. Now that's... (laughs) I don't know whether that's how it works. But we do get it wrong. The the, The Lord never gets it wrong, but we do. And when we do, to go and say, I'm sorry. And that is very hard to do. But we need to be those who just recognise, hey, I am a sinner. I'm trying to bring up children who are also are sinners. They'll get it wrong, yeah, but I get it wrong as well. And to be humble enough to go back and say, I'm sorry. You see, isn't that how a person becomes a Christian? I often think for those who can never apologise, how could you ever become a Christian then? Because we, we repent and we go to the Lord and we say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my rebellion. I'm sorry I haven't loved you as I should. I'm sorry I haven't loved others as I should. I'm sorry I've pushed you to the edge of the plate of my life. I'm sorry, Lord, I've lived and sort of just treated you as if you were dead. And the Lord willing to forgive us. Why? Because there was a moment in history when God scooped up the sin of the world, including my sin and yours, and laid it on Jesus. And there he suffered and carried on himself our sin. And in some mysterious way, he was cut off from his father. Do you remember when he goes into his sufferings on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Do you remember when he goes out of his sufferings and and gives himself over to death? He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But in the midst of his sufferings, as the sin of the world is laid on Jesus He doesn't say, Father, why have you forsaken me? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Somehow he was forsaken by his Father so that we could be forgiven and never forsaken by God the Father. He paid for our sin. He took on himself our rebellion, our penalty, our judgment, our condemnation. And he did it because he loves us. So we have a heavenly father who looks on a lost world with love and compassion and wants to welcome human beings who will turn from their sin and trust him. And do you know, once we do, we can call him Abba, Father. I've had one or two texts this morning from children scattered throughout the world. And of course, they <laughs> for, for one or two hours, once in the year, they say, Dad, you're great. <laughs> and then the rest of the year, we go back to normality. But, uh, but isn't it lovely that they talk to Dad? And we can talk to a loving Heavenly Father. Do you know, 
because of the love of God demonstrated by Jesus' death and burial and rising from the dead, God is able to overshadow everything and, as it were, be a father who embraces us and takes us close to himself. And once we've trusted him, we can then say, Lord, would you give me the grace to be a loving father to my children or my grandchildren? Or it may be that here you are and you've no children at all. You think, oh, was this relevant? Well, it is relevant. But again, if I may quote John Wesley, the founder of the, the Methodist, somebody once said of him, he had no earthly children, but he had 100,000 spiritual children. <laughs> and all of us, whoever we are, we have a sort of, if we're Christians, a love for children. To pray for children whom nobody else prays for. And to pray for children who are prayed for, but they need the support of others in the church, in the community, who are praying for those children as well. So let me ask, how are we doing as fathers? If you're like me, I sort of think, oh, I wish I'd given them more time and more, etc. I, you know, you tried to make up. I had a... When I was away for those many, many weeks of the year, every day I used to write a postcard or a letter to my children. This is before texts and emails, but I used to write a postcard. And then, of course, the first one moved away so to go to university. So now I started writing two, one to her and one to the three together. And then the next one, eventually I was writing four a day to my, my children scattered. And now, you know, it's so ingrained in my system. I still write postcards to my grandchildren. And, uh, and whether they ever read them, I have no idea. But I love to do it. And um, the, uh, <coughs> the grandchildren in Portugal were not going to a Sunday school. Every Saturday night, I, I send by either a video or just audio a Sunday school lesson to them. And this morning I woke up and um, when I went to my emails, there was, uh, there was a film video of, uh, of what I'd asked them to do by way of practical sort of application of, uh, of what I'd taught them. And oh, it just thrilled my heart. We can be good fathers and good grandparents and good sort of church people towards children. But it does take effort and the willingness to say, oh, I didn't get it right, please, I'm sorry, let's start again, etc. But I want to ask something else as well. I want to ask, I, I don't know all of you, but are you absolutely certain you have asked the Lord Jesus who loved you and died for you to forgive you? Are you trusting him alone to save you? And then, do you know that God is your father? And one day when we die and we meet God, there'll be no fear of going to hell. There is hell. But there'll be absolute certainty of being welcomed to his heavenly home. To be with him, this loving father. If, if you've not yet Ask Jesus to save you, to forgive you, to become your Lord and Saviour. I would urge you, just in your heart, to cry out something like, Lord, I am sorry for my sin and trusting in myself, but now I want to trust in you. Thank you that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Please forgive me and become my Lord and Saviour and help me to follow you. And Do you know if you pray like that, God will hear. He'll hear this morning. And he'll welcome you into his family and you'll be secure there for all eternity.